Welcome to the While We're Waiting, Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. This is a podcast of stories, stories of devastating loss and grief and heartbreak and struggle, and stories of hope and healing and faith and yes, even joy. Stories that will help us live well while we're waiting to see our children in heaven one day. We pray that these stories will be an encouragement to you as you walk this road of grief. I am so pleased to have my friends Michael and Michelle Moore join me on the podcast today. I first met Michelle in August of 2015 when she came to one of our While We're Waiting mini retreats for moms. And then she and Michael came to one of our full weekend retreats just a couple months after that. I actually think they've pretty much attended everything that While We're Waiting has to offer. So we've really had the opportunity to get to know them well. Uh, Michelle has even hosted several mini retreats for moms in her home over the last few years. We've been blessed to get to know them and to call them our friends. And I'm so pleased to welcome them to the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. So let's get started by giving you all an opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourselves. Tell us where you live and what you do there. Well, we live in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and uh, I am an engineer for the local co- cable company here. Um, and so- I'm an instructional coach at Heritage High School in Rogers. All right. Both of those jobs keep you very busy, don't they? Very. They, they do. <laughs> Especially this year. I know the educational field is a little bit more challenging with COVID and everything that's going on there. So how did the two of y'all meet? Uh, tell me a little bit about your, your dating years and how all that happened. Oh, boy. Um, I'm not sure you can call it dating. <laughs> um, but uh, we met uh, when Michelle moved to our little hometown uh, in Camden, Arkansas. Mm. And uh, we were in the youth group together and went to high school together and things. And then uh, I joined the Army and went to Europe and was stationed in Germany. Oh, wow. And uh, we didn't actually start dating until Thanksgiving of uh, 2002. 1992. Yeah, 1992. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just a decade earlier, that's all. Yeah. yeah the we time has just gone so fast, hasn't it, Michael? It has. It has. <laughs> but, uh, but we started dating um, when I was home on leave for about three weeks. And then the rest of our courtship was via snail mail. Oh, wow. Um, this is prior to emails and iPhones and text messages and everything like that. So our our courtship was basically through the U.S. Postal Service. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. When I got out of the Army afterwards, uh, I guess we did date for about six months before I proposed. And then uh, then we got married about six months after that. All right. So, Michelle, did you know he was the one pretty quick? Um, He knew we were going to get married pretty quick. I think we had dated for about 10 days when he said, I'm going to come home from Germany and I'm going to marry you. And I laughed at him. <laughs> so, I, I know. Right. And that's a that's a sad story to tell. But he did. He came home and, and came home in September and proposed in November. And we got married in June. Wow. So he did win you over, sounds like. He did. I chased him till he caught me. Ah, perfect. So how long have y'all been married? 26 years. 26 years. 
All right. Mm-hmm. So how long were you married before you started having kids? We were married for, for three, three years. years. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Joshua was our firstborn. And Elizabeth uh, came two years after that. Joshua mm-hmm. was actually due on our third anniversary. That was my oh, due wow. date with him. Uh-huh. And he was nine days late. Oh, wow. Nine days late. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. Tell us a little bit more about Joshua in particular. Well, Joshua was born on June 13th. It was uh, a Friday. That's important. It was a Friday. So he's our Friday 13th baby. Oh, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was born in 1997. Um, and about two weeks later, I went back to to Maryland. I was doing some training in the military and then, uh, I guess he was about six months old when whenever we all moved to Fort Stewart, Georgia. But uh, even even at a young age, he was a pleaser. He was a he was the kind of guy that wanted everybody to be happy in the room. He was the kind of guy that just would bend over backwards to help anyone. Um, and and that was just his demeanor. That was just the way he was. So when I got pregnant with Joshua, we told everybody that we just wanted a healthy, happy baby. Everybody would say, do you want a boy or a girl? We just want a healthy, happy baby. But secretly, I asked God for a boy first to take care of my little girl that I was going to have next. And I wanted him to be taller than me. And I wanted him to not be afraid to put his arm around me and say, I love you, mom, no matter where we were. And interestingly enough, I got all of that. Like God answered every single one of those prayers. Joshua had grown taller than me. He was a junior at the school where I taught and he would come into my classroom to talk to me, mostly to get food and would put his arm around me before he left and say, would say, love you, mom. Bye. And he didn't care if I had a room full of students or if there was a room full of teachers every time. And so i I've always been grateful. God really answered all of that. Um, I would have loved to have had it longer. Sure. But I, I got, and he was very, he was very, um, very devoted to God, which was something else that I wanted. You know, he wasn't ashamed of his faith and didn't care who he told or who knew that he was a Christian. And I loved that about him. He was very bold. That's that's really special. He was very bold about his his faith and his desire to be in heaven uh, and things like that. And he shared it with everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, He had gotten braces. uh, And the first thing that the nurse told us was that Joshua would sit down and say, do you know Jesus? Oh, wow. And uh, so that his he wore his faith on his on his sleeve. Everybody knew where Joshua stood. Even his cross-country coach called him the preacher, and he would say the prayers before each race. The chaplain. He called the him the chaplain. chaplain. Yes. Mm-hmm. But but Joshua was always there, not just for his friends, but for everybody. And it was, it was obvious. You could see it at church because he was the politician that was walking around, shaking everybody's hands and welcoming visitors and things. And he would seek out people in his age group to bring them into the youth group when they were visiting church there. And then 
if you couldn't find him, you could always find him sitting next to a little old lady at church that didn't have anybody sitting with her or something. He would always look and find those people that were outside of the bubble and bring them in. And he just had a huge heart for for people. And he wanted them to know that they are loved. I would get so frustrated with him at church. We would start singing and he was nowhere to be found. And and I'm thinking he should be in his seat. Why is he not in his seat? Is he playing around somewhere? And he would get really annoyed. And by the time we'd get to the chorus, um, I would have found him. And he would have been making his way around the auditorium at church, talking to people. And he would get to a seat. And he never worried about who he was sitting next. He might be sitting next to the one of the youngest kids in the youth group. It didn't bother him. Um, he just he had so many people he wanted to talk to. <laughs> he always never got to a seat before we started singing. Now, he was a huge flirt, though. And if you were a college stage girl, he was probably going to flirt with you. Yeah. Um, he had some of the cheesiest pickup lines. He had some of the, the, in fact, I think he was awarded uh, the biggest flirt at church camp. So he, he had his particulars. He wasn't a perfect young man, but mm-hmm. but he could take a lot of things in stride, too. And uh, one of my favorite memories of him was when he put uh, Dr. Pepper in the freezer. Of course, it froze, and of course, it burst. And of course, there was frozen Dr. Pepper all over the freezer. So we made him take everything out and clean it up. And of course he wasn't happy that his Dr. Pepper exploded and that he now had to do all this work and things. Well, while he was cleaning it, the ice maker dumped the ice on his head and you could just see the tension and things. Just, he took those kind of situations and let them be funny to him Mm -hmm. instead of more angry or more upset. He just saw things for what they were and just took those kind of things in stride. And there's actually still a little spot of frozen Dr. Pepper in the freezer that he missed. It's way down. He just missed, and I will never clean it. It will stay there forever. Of course. Completely understand that. Yeah. He sounds like a, just a remarkable young man. We're biased. <laughs> <laughs> well, that could be, and that's all right. Were you one of Joshua's teachers? Was he in your class or did he just come and visit you? I had Joshua in a middle school class, um, but I never had him in high school. He would just come and visit because I had the food. Of course. He did love to eat. Um, but no, he, he would just come by and visit. I didn't get to te- I didn't get to teach Joshua. And Michael, you and Joshua shared kind of a unique hobby. What was that? Yeah, we were we were pyrotechnics. Um, we love to blow things up and shoot fireworks. And uh, he he absolutely loved. It was one of the things that we loved doing together. Yeah. Um, and it was something that we could do together, um, not in the professional sense, but but you know, Fourth of July and things. We would we would spend way too much money on fireworks, and and we would blow a lot of stuff up. <laughs> and aren't you glad you did that now? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Great memories, I'm sure. So in the fall of 2013, Joshua was a junior in high school, right? Yeah. Talk a little bit about what was going on at that time. So in in the fall of 2012, he had mono and Lyme disease at the same time and then got over that. 
And then over the summer, he went to Caruso, which is a, a camp for young men who want to be preachers at Harding. Absolutely loved it. So he started his junior year off really strong. Just Joshua had never been a poor student, but he was more interested in the social life that school brought than, than academics. He did his work. He turned in things. But he started off really driven. I mean, he was getting assignments done way in advance instead of procrastinating like he used to. We were pretty pumped about that. Um, He had decided not to run that year. He'd been on the cross-country team, but he had a a class that he really needed to get in. So he had decided to take that class. He was just going to train on his own. Um, The first day of in-service, he stood on stage and talked to the faculty at Fayetteville High School and just just to encourage and support them. The the principal had asked the band director for a couple of students who could just say a few words to teachers. And the band director had said, of course I have the mayor because he called Joshua the mayor. And so um, Joshua got on stage and, and again, we're biased, but I was so proud of him. I wish that I had recorded what he said because he was just so genuine and really I mean, really had a heart to encourage others. But I was so nervous for him to stand in front of, you know, 200 adults and talk. And he had he'd really spent time praying about it and had spent more than a week prepping for five minutes um, and just did a phenomenal job. And so we were going to school and we'd finally hit the groove about the middle of October. and. Um, I had gone to be with my mom. My mom had just been, um, she had just had surgery and had just been diagnosed as terminal. And I had been gone from home for a couple of weeks and came back and Joshua had, I got back on a Saturday. Joshua was in Atlanta with, with band. He was a percussionist. And so they were at a competition and I guess he got home on Sunday. And then, um, Tuesday, our our world fell apart. We um we all went to school that day. I was so far behind because I had been out for two weeks, and uh, so I'm still trying to catch up. And long meeting after school, and I had actually left school and I'd taken the kids home and left them at home. and And Joshua didn't have a driver's license just yet. He had turned 16 in June. Um, and he still had two weeks to go on his permit before he could get his driver's license. I think two weeks, four weeks, somewhere in there. And um, so I had come home late. And you want to pick up? Sure. We were planning on going to the gym that evening, but but Michelle had had to work late. And so we decided to skip going to the gym. Joshua wanted a workout. and. Uh, so he decided that he was just going to go for a run. Um, he ran the route many, many times that, that evening. Um, it was about five miles. And if you knew anything about Joshua, he'd love to run with his mother. His mother did could not keep up, but he would run his five miles. And at about two miles, he would turn around and Michelle would turn around. And then he would usually catch up with Michelle. And, and uh, so... We we never had any fear about him running. That night, October 29th of 2013, um, I walked out with him because he was kind of upset about not being able to go to the gym and things. But 
like I said earlier, he, he just took things in stride and explained it to him and he understood. So he decided he was going to go for a run. And so I told him I loved him and watched him run down the road. Um, but he never came back home. And, uh, about 45 minutes later, we went to drive his route of where he runs and things. And, uh, as we turned the corner, we could see the lights of the police cars going and things like that. And uh, we drove down to where the police were and told them that our son was running and he hasn't come home yet. And uh, they told us that a young man had been taken to the hospital and they handed us his cell phone. Um, so we knew mm-hmm. it was Joshua. Uh, sure. So we we rushed to the to the emergency room. And uh, they were still trying to resuscitate him and and get his heartbeat back at that point. Um, He had gone into V-fib arrest while he was running. And uh, it it took almost an hour and a half for him to get a a heartbeat back. And that's how long those doctors and nurses and the paramedics worked on him. So... They flew us down to to Little Rock, to Children's Hospital there in Little Rock, where he was in the the PICU unit. And uh, three days later, we we had to turn off the life support and have been grieving since then. Yeah. You know, your story is so different from mine in that, you know, with Hannah having cancer, we had a year basically to prepare for you know, what eventually happened with her. I cannot imagine just having a normal family evening and for things to change so suddenly in just the the blink of an eye. You know, I I thank God each day for those three days we had down in children. Those three days allowed us to prepare for the worst. Yeah. And and I thank God every day for those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the doctors and nurses could have given up on him so much sooner, so much easier, but they didn't. And I, and I thank them as well. Absolutely. You know, we, we knew that Joshua had a heart defect. I mean, that was found. He was about 18 months old, but he had never had a symptom. Like it was an accidental find. Um, it, it wasn't something that that was located because there were any problems. It was literally a nurse practitioner at a military hospital who thought something looked weird on a chest X-ray. And that started this long series of tests until they found it. And, and we saw doctors every three months and then every six months and then every nine months and then every year and then every other year. Mm -hmm. And you know, we followed and we followed instructions. We taught Joshua. Joshua didn't even know that he had a heart defect until he was eight or nine. <laughs> we didn't tell yeah. him. He thought everybody went to Children's Hospital to have their heart looked at. You know, he thought everybody went to Children's to have their teeth cleaned. And I mean, he just, that was the norm for him. Sure. And so, you know, in the beginning, I remember being very scared when we first found out because we didn't really know what it meant. Right. And then, you know, years pass and there are no symptoms and there's no reason to, I mean, we'd go 
months without even thinking about it. Um, his condition was so hard to locate that I could take him in for a physical and the doctor would never know that he had anything wrong. We'd have to remind him, don't forget, he has that left ventricular aneurysm, you know, and and the doctor would say, oh, yeah, that's right. I, you know, it just he didn't look unhealthy. He was very active. He had run thousands of miles. He had no reason to think that that night was any different. But I do have to give you I have to give you a funny story. So when we realized that Joshua should have been home that night, I texted him and, of course, got no response. And when we left to go look for him, I started calling and I would take my phone and I would call him. And as soon as the voicemail answered, I'd hang up and I was already calling with Michael's phone. And I mean, I was going back and forth. I bet I had called 16 times before. And and he I mean, he was about two and a half miles from the house. That was his route. And I remember being so frustrated with the police. They had his phone. Why didn't they just answer it? Yeah. And we started looking at, at Joshua's contacts and he had me saved as she who gave me life and Michael saved as the bald guy. <laughs> and so I can imagine what some police officers standing on the side of the road, right. holding the 16 year old's phone was what would have been thinking and probably hoping that he was not going to have to go see the parents who knew what kind of custody issue was going on, <laughs> what function was happening. but that was just, that was just yeah. Joshua. Wow. I, you know, I never had the opportunity to meet Joshua, but I've seen so many pictures of him and that blonde hair. And I, yes. when I see him in heaven, I will know him immediately. And I'm just going to sit down and visit with him because he just seems like such a fun person. He had that white hair. We could find him anywhere. Yeah. And, and, and I couldn't keep up with him when I would run, but I could keep that white head in sight. Sure. So, you know, I could see him turn around. He would be way on ahead of me right. <laughs> and I would turn around. He'd beat me home. He'd come back. He'd run home with me. He'd ask me questions and then he would answer them. And say, Mom, I, I thought maybe you needed to save your breath for, <laughs> for breathing. Oh, how funny. Wow. Well, thank you for telling us just a little bit more about him. And, and I know our listeners already feel like they've gotten to know him a little bit, too. So how long has it been since he went to heaven? Six and a half years. Six and a half years. It'll be seven years in November 1st. Yeah. And that's coming up pretty soon. That'll be here before we know it. Um, so in this period of time, since you started this journey um, on that November evening, are there any scriptures that have been particularly helpful to you as you've walked this road? For me, the one that I clung to in the beginning um, was Isaiah 57. 1. And and I'm paraphrasing here, but it basically what it says is that God takes the righteous to protect them from the evil. Mm -hmm. And that was one that I really clung to because I knew where Joshua's faith was. I knew where his walk with Christ was. And I knew that God took him because he was protecting him. Mm -hmm. um, as I walk this path in things another one that has come up let me let me start by saying there's there's two questions that really hit me hard the first one was why 
Yeah. And Isaiah 57, 1 helped me with that question. And the other one is what ifs. What if questions? What if we'd have done something different? What if we'd have gone to the gym? What if we did not let him run that night? And the verse that has helped me with that the most is Job 14, 5, where it talks about God knows the number of days that we're going to be here. He knows for months, and we can't live a second longer than that. Right. And it was Joshua's turn to go to heaven. And that has helped me with the what is, and it's helped me to understand that it wasn't God punishing me for Joshua's death. It was God rewarding Joshua for living a life well lived. Absolutely. How about you, Michelle? Mine has been Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Um, and, and I think a lot of it was because Joshua was a runner. Yeah. And I didn't... I. I, I really started running a lot more after he passed. And, um, and so that kind of became my verse to run with perseverance. He had run with such perseverance. He, despite knowing that he had a heart defect, which was a struggle because he was limited. Um, he loved soccer and wasn't allowed to play. He really wanted to play football. And that was, again, a no, anything high contact. And, and there were times that he struggled with that. And he would, and, and in fact, it was August before he passed when he said, uh, mom, when's my next heart appointment? Because I'm going to insist, <laughs> I'm going to insist on a stress test because I think I'm fine and I can play football. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And so, you know, he struggled with not being able to do things he wanted to do, but he, he lived so big despite that. He, you know, he could have been very bitter about it and he could have, you know, decided that nobody should get to play football and he could have disliked everything about football, but he didn't. He loved it and he, he enjoyed watching his cousin play. And I mean, he, he still lived life and he really ran with perseverance. He didn't let that stop him from running his race. And so that scriptures held a lot of meaning for me. And it's the one that I've really tried. I've tried to live well since he passed. And I like the phrase after that, the race set before you, because, you know, I would imagine Joshua didn't particularly like his race. He would have preferred to be able to play soccer and football and all the other sports things that wasn't an option. And and sometimes the race that is set before me is not the race I would have chosen. And I have to make that decision as to how I'm going to live it. Am I going to trust God and, and, and run it as best I can, or am I going to be bitter about it? So that's, that's my scripture that I hang on to. I love that one. That's, that's perfect for, for Joshua, for sure. The loss of a child changes a parent profoundly. In what ways do you feel like Joshua's homegoing has changed you? I definitely have more of an eternal perspective. I remember when people would pray, Lord, come quickly. And I would think, you've got to be kidding. You can't really mean that. And now I may get up and get dressed and put on my makeup and say, Jesus, I'm ready. Let's go home. Um, right. Earth doesn't hold the value 
that it held for me before. And I definitely think differently about things. Things that used to be important to me are not as important. And things that I didn't value quite as much have become more important. Absolutely. And it's focusing on eternity. You know, we have in in our support group, there's a an amazing man. And uh, just this past, or I guess it was last week, he said to us, and it and it made sense to me at the time, but he said to us, as much as I miss my son, I wouldn't want to go back to the man I was before. Because his perspective in life has gone from earthly to eternally. I hate the fact that we're missing Joshua here on earth now. But I can look to heaven now and know that I'm going to have an eternity with him. But more important, that eternity with Christ and that eternity with God. That's the perspective that I think I have gained since Joshua has been called home. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you think about it, we should have had that perspective all along, but I know I didn't. That scripture about treasures being stored up in heaven, it means something totally different to me now. Yes, absolutely. Because that's one of our greatest treasures is already there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, At our retreats, we often talk about how men and women grieve differently. Have y'all found that to be true in your marriage? (laughs) And um, how how have you grieved differently or or alike? I would would have to say, at first, we definitely grieved differently. Um, Those first few months, especially, um, we basically just went to separate rooms at the end of the day and, and tried not to upset each other any more than what we already were. Um, I was dealing with that grief by doing things that I could for Joshua. You know, it was easy for me to go to the funeral home and pick out the casket and pick out the flowers and pick out all of those things for the funeral. Whereas Michelle could not do that at all. Right. I couldn't make those decisions. I couldn't figure out how. You know, it was easy for me to go to to the uh, to the cemetery and talk to the ladies about the headstone. Was, it, those kind of things were right. stuff that I could still do for my boy. Whereas once that headstone was placed, that was the last thing I could do for Joshua. And that brought on a whole new wave of grief and things. But that's what I did to cope with with that grief was being able to do things for Joshua. Sure even though he wasn't here anymore. Right. Whereas Michelle <laughs> could not do that. She did projects that I couldn't, I, and I'll let her explain those projects, but I just couldn't be involved with. I had this intense desire to gather every picture I could find of Joshua, every single one. I I needed them all, and I scanned every one of them, and I put them in folders, and I categorized them, And I mean, for eight days, eight days straight, I sat at a computer. I'm not sure I cooked a single meal. I'm I'm fairly certain I showered because they didn't kick me out of the house. Mm -hmm. 
But I, I literally gathered every picture I could find and put them into a photo album because I needed yeah. to have pictures to tell his story. I needed to be able to look at those in a, in a way that made sense, that was organized. I didn't want just a box of hodgepodge. And, and so that's, that's what I did. And um, mm-hmm. still have that photo album, by the way. And I went out and look at it occasionally. <laughs> so, but yeah, we, we definitely grieve differently. And, and I, it took me a while to sort it out, but I was so grateful for Michael's wisdom in recognizing that he could recognize that what I needed was different and, and was okay with that. Um, he could recognize the different ways that I needed to grieve and, and he didn't get frustrated with me. Like he never got frustrated with me. If, if there was an event coming and we thought we could go and then last minute, I just couldn't, he was never upset about that. Um, I probably wasn't as good at it as he was, but I I always appreciated his wisdom and seeing that, not only did the two of us grieve differently, our daughter grieved differently. And and Michael could really recognize that and gave us all the space that we needed to do that. Yeah, it sounds like you all were very good at giving each other grace. The grace that you each needed. He was. <laughs> I I couldn't I I had a lot of trouble assembling thoughts. And so I just Sure. That kind of goes into another question I had, and that is about grief brain. You know, that's something we talk about at retreats a lot of times um, is grief brain. And it sounds like you experienced that. Um, Talk about that a little bit. I had a lot of trouble with it. I used to be so organized. I could maintain our calendars in my head all of ours for months in advance. And you, you know, you could call and say, hey, we're planning this event on October 24th, can you guys make it? And I could say, well, Josh was going to have a cross country meet that morning and I could tell you where and what time. And I could keep all of that in my head and I couldn't do it anymore. I remember I would get to school and I would literally look down at my shoes just to make sure they matched, not my outfit, because that was just icing on the cake. If they matched my outfit, I needed them to match each other. Um, I really did struggle with putting thoughts together and remembering where I was supposed to be. Um, It was really hard for me. Did that affect you on your job as a teacher? God is really good. And Joshua's service was on Wednesday and I went back to school on Monday. I had um, my mom was ill. And I, and I needed to have days to go and take care of her. And I had already missed 18 days of school at that point. And so I went back to school on Monday and my students and my colleagues could not have been better. They were incredible. And they, they had offered to move my classroom if I needed to do that, which I didn't. I had memories of Joshua there and I wanted to stay. Um, we also had quite a bit of snow that year and it's one of the lessons that I learned that snow was such a blessing for our family. It was not for other families, but for our family, it was a blessing. So I made it from November 8th to Christmas break. But during that time we had 
like eight snow days, nine snow days. And then in January, I got an intern and she was a gift from God, an absolute blessing and really worked and helped me a lot. And so I was able because of her and because of the snow days, um, I was able to to pull off the school year. I don't remember a lot about that school year. Elizabeth and I would schedule a day now and then, like we would intentionally put it on our calendar. We're going to miss school this day. I would make sure it was a place where my students would be okay. It was a place where she would be okay. Um, And we would plan that in advance because that helped us get through the other days. Absolutely. But it was a hard year at school. Mm -hmm. I like, I like to call it my six month fog. Because oh, yeah. Good name. You couldn't see anything. And for me, it lasted for six months. And and I understand everybody's different and there's yeah. nobody's the same. So that's just what I call it, because for six months I was I was dazed, confused, not sure what to do, not sure how to do it. I mean, it was a struggle going to work daily. Um, luckily, I have a position where I can get out of the office. Um, and things like that so that I could escape reality, which is what I needed. I, I needed to escape some of those realities of of the everyday life. Um, but it was it was it was about six months where nothing was right. Nothing was going to be right. Nothing that anybody said was going to be right. Nothing that anybody did was going to be right, although we did enjoy the food that the ladies from church sent us. Sure. That six months, we were just numb. And, of of course, Mm -hmm. we, Joshua passed away early November, and three weeks later, here's Thanksgiving. And then a month after that, here's, here's Christmas. And we have truly been blessed with family members that understood that. And understood the awkwardness of it. And uh, we were able to make those adjustments in that fog time to to help us get through those times. Well, and you mentioned the holidays, you know, and they came very quickly that first year. And now you've gone through several sets of holidays. And then there's, you know, birthdays and heaven days and things like that. How have you found or what have you found that's maybe helpful in getting through those days or how have you found ways to celebrate Joshua's life on those special days? For for us, like I said, I, we, we have been blessed with family members that have understood and the awkwardness that we had for that first Thanksgiving, we understood that we couldn't go through that again. Yeah. Not just Michelle and I, but, but our whole family. So for Christmas, instead of having the traditional lunch, the traditional watch football and, and the whole nine yards, well, we all decided to go rent a a cabin up in Branson for Christmas just to change things up. And that helped tremendously because it was a, we were able to take some of the focus off of losing Joshua and put it back to, to our, our other family members and things. Um, a little change never hurt, especially during those times. 
Now, since then, everything has kind of gone back to what we are used to, what we're normal to. And since the sting of grief is not as as powerful as it used to be, those days aren't near as 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 hard to go through as they used to be. So for Joshua's birthday, we started this tradition. We get up and we mope and it's okay. Like we plan it. We're going to get up and we're going to be sad. One of the best explanations of grief I have ever heard is that grief is love with no place to go. We get up on his birthday and we have all this excitement and, you know, with that natural desire to want to celebrate him. And there, we can't do that. We can't cook his favorite food. We can't take him to his favorite places. There's there's nothing we can do. So we mope. Um, and then one of us will finally get up the energy to encourage the other one. And, they're like, okay, we're going to get dressed and we're getting out of here. Like we are leaving the house. And so we've started going to a bakery and we buy birthday cakes. We can't buy Joshua's, you know. Um, I, I definitely try to requisition them in heaven for him, but it's just not an option. So we, we buy somebody else's and it sounds crazy, but it helps. I mean, it, it really, it really does help just to go and do something for somebody else. And we could stay at home and wallow. And like I said, we do, we do that for a while. And, but then we, pull up the bootstraps, so to speak, and just get out. We may go to a restaurant and have a favorite meal of his. Um, we, on occasion, we may share a Dr. Pepper. But just getting out and, and trying to find a way to remember him has been really helpful. I like the concept of planned moping. Yes. I've, I've never heard that before. Yes. It's like you you make space for that because you know you know it's going to be there, mm-hmm. and you you do that you fulfill that purpose and then you're ready to get up mm-hmm. and celebrate Joshua. In the beginning, we would have several plans. I mean, we would make them in advance. Do we want to go do this? Do we want to stay at home? And we would have we would have oper- options. And, and, and usually did none of them and just came up with a new one on that day. But sometimes we'd wake up and and pick something different or sometimes we'd wake up and say I thought I'd want to do this but I really don't want to so we're going to do this instead and but now it's kind of really worked itself into a routine Joshua's birthday's in the summer so I'm it, you know I'm never in school and so that's mm-hmm. easy I mean October and November are harder because I am in school um and those for me those days are harder to to plan for because I I don't have something I want to celebrate that day. Um, and it's sometimes it's hard to find the right balance, but I've also discovered that the days leading up to October 29th and through November 1st are a lot harder than the actual days. Yeah. That anticipation is tough, isn't it? It is watching that date come closer and closer on the calendar. Uh, about the time October 1st hits, I, I, I can feel it. I can feel it coming. Yeah, I hear that from a lot of bereaved parents. And, and that's been true in my case also, that anticipation is almost always worse than the actual day. And it kind of helps to know that, I think. Um, 
to be to know that that anticipation is going to be rough. And then another day that's sometimes hard is the day after the big dreaded day because it's like you get that behind you and you take a big breath and then ooh the day after sometimes is tough. Well, I think for me what happens the day after is I realize it hasn't ended. I mean, right. I, I've I've reached a I'm not sure what the what the word is because I think of race analogies a lot. So I've reached a place in this race, but it's still going. Yeah. Now I have to do it again. Right. It's not a finish line. Yeah. You know, one of the hardest questions for a parent to answer after they've lost a child is the dreaded, how many children do you have question? How do you guys handle that one? I actually heard great advice at a retreat, and I don't remember which retreat it was, but I have followed it. Um, if this is somebody that I will probably never see again, I say, oh, we have two, and then I redirect the conversation. It is really hard for me personally to say I have one because I have two. Right. If it's someone that, because I am experiencing this this year, I've moved to a new school and those, those conversations come up. Oh, Hey, you're new here. Tell me about yourself. And so if it's somebody that I'm going to be in contact with regularly, I just lay it out there and I usually preface it with, I hope this isn't really awkward for you. We really love to talk about Joshua. Mm-hmm. He's just not here anymore. Right. And so I just tell him, I, you know, we've got a, a 21-year-old daughter married in Virginia and a 16-year-old son in heaven. Yeah. It's never we have one child. Right. If, you know, that, that's not even an option. When we have those conversations, because Joshua was our child. Mm-hmm. He was our son. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not ashamed or bashful to say we have two children. Now, we may not go directly into the details of that um, with, with certain people that we come in contact with. But it, it's it's not hard to hide the fact that we have a son in heaven as we get farther down this path and farther down this road, I'm proud that I have a son that's in heaven. Yeah. We took Elizabeth out to dinner one night for her birthday. And that's hard. It's hard to be the sibling of a child that's gone to heaven. That's a tough place to be. Yes. And the waitress came over and she said, are we celebrating anything? And I said, we're celebrating her birthday. And then for whatever reason, the waitress says, oh, is she your only child? And I, I just could not say yes. And I couldn't taint the moment either. You know, it was her birthday and we were celebrating. And I just, I remember just looking at the waitress and saying, she's our baby. And just completely trying to avoid it. I didn't want to go into that on Elizabeth's birthday. Um, And so we've just kind of found some ways around it when we need to. But can't not acknowledge the fact that we we have a son. That's right. And you still do. We do. Yeah. And we may not get to make more memories on earth, but boy, we've got quite a future in heaven. <laughs> exactly right. The best is yet to come. We always like to say that. So kind of a deep question here. What have you learned about God through this experience? 
I I hear people say, how can a God who is loving allow bad things to happen? And we are not, we don't have anyone to blame for what happened to Joshua. No one was texting and driving. No one was drinking and driving. No one else was involved. Joshua was running and his heart short-circuited. And if we were going to blame anybody, we only have God to blame for that. And, I, and I've wrestled with God a lot about this. And what I, what I have really learned is, first of all, we live in a fallen world. And bad things happen. God didn't promise that bad things wouldn't happen. What God promised is that he would walk every step of it with us. And that he wouldn't desert us. He wouldn't leave us to our own devices to figure it out. He doesn't just throw us into the middle of the water and say sink or swim. He takes every step with us. And and I, I truly believe God doesn't take any pleasure in watching us hurt. That doesn't bring him any joy. I think like any like any parent, it it probably aches him a lot. He also gives us free will. And so while this has been brutal at times. God has always been faithful at every step of the way he has provided. Um, In the beginning, he provided for our physical needs through the church. We didn't buy groceries for months. I didn't cook. And we always had too much food. He, I mean, the, our church really and truly, they were the hands and feet of Jesus. He provided us with, and, and, and I know that this is not even what you are asking, but I'll be honest. He provided us with you mm. while we're waiting has been the single most important step in our healing. I didn't, I didn't think that I would like being with other parents. I didn't think that I would find that. I think, I think I felt like it would be more of a pity club. And who wants to go and sit around and say, poor me, my life is terrible and compare, well, my tragedy is worse than yours. And so in, in the beginning, I, I wasn't, I, I wouldn't have been interested. The timing of all of that was perfect. And that first mom's day when sure we talked about difficult things. I mean, losing a child is a very difficult thing. But everything went back to hope and encouragement. How can we live well? And God has really, every step, provided the right people at just the right time to walk alongside of us. You know, Jill, we talked about that, that six-month fog, as I like to call it, and things. And, you know, at first, I wanted to be mad at God. I, I did ask those questions. Why? The what ifs? Why me? Those questions were just constantly in the forefront. But being in the Bible and reading what Jesus went through in the Garden of Gethsemane and and seeing how he did not want to go to the cross, but was willing to go to the cross. I realized that God is not going to blame us for what happened in our grief. God's not going to judge us for those questions of why, those questions of what if. 
Those questions have let this cup pass over me. But he is faithful and he does listen. And it took me that six months coming out of that fog to realize that God answered my prayers while Joshua was in the hospital there at Children's exactly the way I prayed for him. Because my prayer during that time when he was in the coma there in, in Children's Hospital was God a great life on earth or a great life in heaven, nothing in between. And God chose heaven for Joshua. And because of that, that realization that God answered my prayer exactly how I prayed it showed me that God was in charge, that God had a plan, and that his plan was good. I might not understand it. I might not agree with it at times, but his plan is good and his plan is right. And his plan was perfect for our son. I know you've said one time something that I've always remembered, something about your worst day. What was that? Our worst day was Joshua's best day. Uh, And I've heard that spoken in many different ways. I've, I've even heard a story of a parents that had lost their child and was in a car wreck and for 51 minutes was trapped inside the car was alive but there was nothing that anybody could do for him and for those 51 minutes it was terrible for that young man but just think about that 52nd minute the 52nd minute when he got to put his face and look upon Christ and the blessing that that must be for him. Amen. Yep, that's what we need to focus on is that minute 52, don't we? Absolutely. And I think as parents, it's different. I mean, we want what's best for our kids. That's normal and that's very natural. And and once we once I heard that perspective, it was my worst day ever. But wow. It was Joshua's best. It was what he had lived for. He, he lived to go to heaven. That was his, that was his purpose. And that helped that put a different kind of a different perspective on it. And knowing that Mm -hmm. he is safely tucked away from Satan, right? Satan can't get to him. He lost that one. And that has helped. It's, it's, and I think about David in the Bible a lot saying, after he had fasted and and the baby died and and he got up and and ate and he said I, I he will the baby will never come back here mm-hmm. but I will go and see him someday and so that's what I hang on to Joshua's not coming back here and really and truly it'd be a little unfair to ask that of him now absolutely but someday I'll go there you know it's easy to surround yourself with people they can give you the perspectives that that we so desperately are looking for. And one of those people was my brother for me. And because one day we were sitting around and I was lamenting all the things that we didn't get to do with Joshua. We didn't get to watch him graduate from high school. We didn't get to see him run off to college. We didn't get to see him fall in love and get married and have children and all of these things that we were going to miss with Joshua. And my brother, put his arm around my shoulders and he said, Michael, Joshua's sitting up in heaven going, 
wait until you get up here. And that's the kind of perspective that I try to have with what Joshua's best day was. Because we can't even describe what heaven is like. We can't even fathom what heaven is like. But we know without a doubt that it's better than being here on earth. Wow, that's powerful. Thank you so much for for sharing that with us. Finally, just want to ask you one more thing. And while we're waiting, that's that's what the name of the ministry is all about, is how are we going to live while we're waiting to see our children again? So what are some things, some ways that you are seeking to live well while you're waiting to see Joshua again? I am trying to be as bold as he was with my faith. Joshua had a way of of demonstrating his faith that people did not find. um, They didn't feel like he was beating them over the head with it. It was very much a, let me tell you about my Jesus. Mm. Like he said to the lady at the orthodontist office, the very first appointment he ever had. And it was such a genuine love for others and such a genuine belief in God that it was it was it was almost like breathing for him and so i i'm trying to emulate that because when somebody leaves a conversation with me i want them to feel closer to god i feel like that's the best way i can honor joshua right now absolutely we have found ways to kind of fill the emptiness mm-hmm. um and a lot of those are through through the church and through some of the ministries that are at church, you know, we are from Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is mm-hmm. the hometown of the University of Arkansas. Yeah. And uh, we we have a ministry for the students there at the university and things. And so we have basically dove head in with that ministry. Um, a, a lot of these kids now that are in college are Joshua's age. And uh, so we can kind of relate with them. And and because of that ministry, we're able to share Joshua's story. We're able to to help these young people get through college and realize that it's not about the job you need. It's not about the the peers that you're that you're trying to to have like you and things. It's about heaven. And that's the perspective that I think that we have gained. Because Joshua is in heaven now, mm-hmm. and it's not the earthly things that are important; it's the heavenly things that are important. Because of that importance of being in heaven, that importance of of living eternity with Christ, I have tried to make it intentional to love God, to love Christ. Those things that we take for granted—that God's love for us—that Christ's love for us we took we take for granted and then and we have to be intentional not to take those for granted and love them back just as much as they love us but I think our goal of getting involved with the college ministry was not the same blessing that we got out of it I mean yes we we want to be more intentional with young adults because 
you don't know when God's going to call you home. We had no idea, you know, when Joshua took off that night to go for a run that he was not coming back. Um, and so, you know, we're wanting to help them see that what they did for us in return was unbelievable. The noise in the house was so therapeutic. The relationships that they provided for Elizabeth, you know, just the silliness, the loud, the what else do you have to eat? I mean, that it, that little bit of normalcy that was coming in into our home was so helpful in, in drawing us out of ourselves and what we were dealing with and, um, and allowing us to, to use time and energy on them, which like I said, I feel like we were way more blessed by that. Just playing games. It's been huge. Yeah. I can see where that would be very helpful. It, it is definitely a two-way street. You know, we, we try our best to, to serve them and to help them and to give them encouragement and stuff. But in turn, that gives us encouragement. Mm-hmm. That gives us that perspective of, of doing God's work. Sure. Um, you, you know, Michelle goes down to Honduras uh, every, every summer. Mm-hmm. Mission trips down there. I think she will tell you that she gets just as much going down there during those mission trips as the people there in Honduras. I get more. Yeah, absolutely. We feel the same way with the while we're waiting ministry, you know, Mm -hmm. that we're the ones who get the biggest blessing of all from it. Um, And you all actually host a support group for bereaved parents. Tell us a little bit about that when you meet and where and that kind of thing. We, we meet uh, typically on the last Tuesday of each month. Um, at the moment, we are meeting in our home here in, mm-hmm. in uh, Springdale. Um, we have uh, probably about four or five different families that are meeting here. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a great time with it. We really do. I think it's a little unnerving to come in for the first time as a, as a parent who's lost a child and hear people laughing. Yes. And talking. And, and again, it, it all goes back to we are talking about some tough stuff. But we don't want parents to leave discouraged. You know, we want to also share funny stories about our children and we want to find joy. And now I I don't want to live the rest of my life sad. I don't want. And and I do remember that first time that I laughed after Joshua died Um, and it it jarred me. Um, and, And at first I thought, how can you? How can you do that? How can you laugh? Your your child has died. And it became a, I can't live. I mean, I, I'm not that old. I'm only 46. Mm-hmm. Very, very young. And and the idea that, that I would have to live 40 more years or 50 more years in total sadness was, was excruciating for me. Yes. And so we've really tried to find things that are joyful. I mean, Joshua wouldn't want us to be miserable. I mean, he would be the first to fuss and say, Mom, you can't bring people to Jesus if you are sad and grouchy all the time. It doesn't work that way. And so that that's a way that we can honor him is to find things to be joyful about. 
but it can be unnerving as a first time parent to come into a support group and people are laughing. Right. So. But it also gives them permission to laugh because I know at your support group meetings, there's, there's laughter, but there's also tears too. But when you, when you come back to the hope, when you um, just come back to the hope that we have in Jesus, you can't help, but, but have some smiles and, and laughter at the same time. I would also just mention this. Michelle is a very gifted writer. You have a blog that you write beautifully. And um, in the show notes, I will put a link to Michelle's blog and uh, your support group information as well. So if anybody would like to look into your support group there in Northwest Arkansas, that would be great. Um, Michelle also hosts, you know, I said that we met her at a while we're waiting mini retreat for moms. She from time to time throughout the year hosts those mini retreats in her home. Um, And Michael, I don't want to leave you out because I know you help with the decorating. And uh, I know you're man enough to admit that you help with the decorating and with the food. And uh, so Michael plays a role in those as well. But those are just small gatherings of women uh, that spend the whole day together, have breakfast, lunch and dinner together and and just share their kids stories and uh, talk about things that as bereaved moms we face every day, um, all in the light of uh, the love of God. And, uh, you know, with that faith underpinning that foundation. Um, and so it is a very encouraging day and you you walk in as strangers but you leave as dear friends and so those are very special days so um, I'll also put a link in the show notes to the um, the page on our website where you can register for one of our while we're waiting mini retreats for moms if you'd like Um, all of our events are free so there's no cost to come to something like that and I know Michelle would love to welcome you into her home uh, and hear about your child definitely Yeah. Well, thank you all for coming on the podcast today. Um, It's always so great to talk to you guys. Um, I'm so thankful that God brought us together. Um, I wish it was for any other reason. But, um, you know, we have this bond because of our kids. And uh, like I said, when I see Joshua in heaven one day, I will recognize him instantly. And and I would hope that you would you would also recognize Hannah. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So we've got a lot to look forward to, don't we? We do. We do indeed. Yeah. Well, thank you all for coming on and um, looking forward to the next time we get to visit. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it brought you some comfort and encouragement today and maybe made you feel a little less alone on the journey. Please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and and maybe leave us a rating in iTunes to help others find the podcast. Again, we're glad you spent a few minutes with us today. It's a blessing to walk beside you as we seek to live well while we're waiting.